Welcome to the Preserving Family podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Thank you for joining us today. We're so excited that you're here with us. We're really glad you're all here. This is going to be a great episode. We're excited about it. Yeah, today we are talking about the topic of anxiety. And it just seems to be a huge epidemic everywhere you go. Somebody's talking about anxiety. We all know people who have anxiety. It's in our own families, friend groups, wards. So I think this is a really important topic. And, you know, this is as we as we engage in this podcast today, we're not we're not going to pretend like this is going to take the place of counseling. This is not a mental health session per se. We're going to talk about some general principles here. Or in other words, if you're really suffering from anxiety, then what you ought to do is, is get some help, especially if it's, it's, if it's hard to manage. But our focus is going to be more of where anxiety comes from. Uh, what are some simple interventions? Of course, we'll go back a little bit. What are some of the symptoms? Uh, we won't plunge into it in depth. That comes later. But we certainly want to do a little broad brush here and cover some of the most important things that uh, that are taking place today in our culture. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, my husband, Mark, is a licensed professional counselor, has been for 31 years. And Mark, wouldn't you say that that this is probably the hugest thing in your caseload right now is anxiety, depression, those kind of things? Yeah, it's really interesting. So I started, you know, as you know. In fact, we don't mind telling our listeners that the way that it started for me is Janie came home with a diagnosis of having twins. And we realized that day that we needed to uh, probably get another job and another car and another house. Uh, Our family was going to double in size. But so that was in the early 90s when I started. But that was it was there was so much depression in those days. That was what we saw. I mean, most most of the caseload was depression today. Without question, it's anxiety. We also call it comorbidity. Comorbidity is when you have two things going on at one time, kind of pulling against each other or aligned with each other. And that's depression. Anxiety and depression often go together. So, Mark, where does anxiety come from? Like, why do some people have it and other people don't? You know, there's a lot of factors, you know, and why some do and some don't. That may be hard to determine because there's so much that may that may be uh, you know, tied into heredity, our families that we grew up in. But let me give you just an overview of of what some of those causes could be. First, heredity for sure. You know, a lot of us can look back on our parents and grandparents and think, you know what, they were probably pretty anxious, (laughs) right? We didn't talk about it in those days. Yeah, I don't think there was even a word for it, maybe. I don't know. I I remember my mom always saying, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. And we didn't even know what that was. But we look back (laughs) on that and think, okay, that was anxiety for sure. Uh, I realized my grandfather was anxious, you know, as I look back on that, just based on some of the things he used to tell me and some of the things he would worry about, you know. Um, But so heredity for sure, number one. Second is, this is interesting, but childhood circumstances could really factor in with anxiety. For example, if you have parents that create an overly cautious view of the world, you know, I know I kind of grew up like that. It was always like, oh, if you sit in front of the TV, you'll go blind. Or if you go outside at night, you could get kidnapped or, you know, all these bad oh, things that can interesting. happen. Interesting. Wow. Right. Uh, or parents, number two, who are overly critical, they set very high standards. And that can happen a lot in our LDS culture, right? Where 
There's a lot of criticism and high expectations in families. Another one would be just trauma. You know, if you grew up with some trauma in your life, for example, your house burned down or there was divorce in your family or someone died that was close to you, that could be a factor. And then how about this one? Just parents suppress your feelings. Or in other words, you don't really have an outlet. You don't have a way to express yourself. You know, you can't really share with someone how you feel. It's not safe to do that. So those are what we would call some childhood circumstances. Another one that's big is just stress over time. I mean, there is a test that we give to people, we administer to people. And one of the funny things on there to me is Christmas. If Christmas is it's on the, if you have Christmas this year, you, you're prone, right? To, wow, maybe I have anxiety. <laughs> right, or vacations. If you take a vacation with your family, but there are other things on there like job changes, uh, moving, you know, all kinds of things that are involved, uh, you know, in our world today. There's just a lot of cumulative stress that builds up. I don't know how you could go through this life without stress, right? Without so many stressful things going on. We're trying to manage schedules and and accomplish so many things, right? It's really interesting. Research has come out lately that talk about environmental factors that can cause anxiety, like mercury, lead, arsenic, pesticides, mm, wow. heavy metals. You know, we, 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 you and I were just talking a little while ago about old pipes in houses or lead paint or... Yeah, you know, just, all so many things in our environment. Not to mention processed foods. All kinds foods, of problems. Right, yeah. things like that. Parental factors, you know, a lack of coping skills, uh, the, the lack of maybe teaching our children to be resilient and to be strong and to do hard things. You know, I still remember modeling parents. Right. Today. Mm -hmm. I still remember. I don't know if you remember if you remember this, but when we first moved to Texas and uh, the, I think the first or second week we were in our ward, the ward divided. And I still remember to this day a mother, a daughter right behind us who sat behind us when they announced the new ward boundaries and a daughter who said, mom, I'm not going to that new ward. You know, and the mother said, that, that's okay, honey, you don't have to go, you know, and, but that's the era that we live in now where there's more coddling versus, hey, let's buck up and, and do something hard, right? And so mm -hmm. there's another area that's really fascinating to me as well when, when we talk about where anxiety comes from and we call it maintaining causes. So a maintaining cause is what keeps the anxiety in front of you? What keeps it there every day? Why doesn't it just go away? Well, those are things like self-talk. And you'll hear the term self-talk a lot when we discuss anxiety, but really what self-talk is, it's what you think about all day. It's when you go jogging or exercise or when you're driving in your car, what are those thoughts that are going through your head all day? That's your self-talk. And often our self-talk is negative or critical or fearful, right? Um, Mistaken beliefs. A lot of times we believe things that aren't true. And we build our self-talk on those mistaken beliefs. I'll give you an example. Tell me if you have one. Think you think of one. Oh, here's mine. But when I was a kid, my parents always told us that if we went swimming within 30 minutes after <laughs> we ate our lunch or whatever, we would all drown and sink to the bottom <laughs> of the lake. And I remember that was a law in my family. I literally remember sitting in lawn chairs with my siblings, asking our mom, how long has it been? And she's like, 20 more minutes, 10 more minutes. <laughs> and I laugh about that because our kids are actually eating hot dogs while they water ski or whatever, right? <laughs> I don't know if you have one, Jamie, like that. I'm mistakenly, but, oh. but we hear things like that. Here's another one. Just the lack of self-nurturing. You know, we don't, we don't take care of ourselves enough. We don't stop 
and and smell the roses, so to speak, or relax. We just don't take time to relax and so or to take care of ourselves, to sit in the hot tub, to get a massage, to go on a trip somewhere and just relax. So just we live in a really stressful world. So, Mark, as you talk, I sit here and think, wow, well, do I have anxiety? Or am I just anxious? Because we all have things in life that we're fearful of or anxious, right? We all have moments. I know I get totally anxious if I have to get up and speak in front of someone or teach a lesson or, you know, things like that. But does that mean I'm anxious? Does that mean I have anxiety? I fear for my grandchildren's future. I, there's things that, that scare me. Like, but does that mean I have anxiety? How do you tell the difference? Yeah, well, I think, Jane, that's a great question. I think I think when that anxiety becomes unmanageable, when it becomes crippling, right? When it's when it becomes overwhelming, right? I mean, I remember being nervous and afraid of things as I was growing up in high school and even in college. But you get over it 20 seconds later, right? But anxiety doesn't really go away. True anxiety stays around for a while. And there's a lot of different types of anxiety, right? Just to talk about anxiety in general is one thing. But, you know, panic disorder. We hear that phrase a lot today. Oh, I, did, I had a panic attack. I have students at BYU all the time that, that will tell me, oh, I didn't get my homework done. Man, I just had this panic attack. And sometimes when you dig in deeper, a panic attack means to them, uh, I had an overwhelming day. No, a real panic attack, you're, you're calling the ambulance, right? In a lot of cases, you're, you're thinking, I can't breathe. I feel like my, I'm having a heart attack, a heart attack, you know? Social anxiety is big today. A lot of people have trouble being yeah. in groups, right? Or, yeah, we see that a lot, for yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, speaking in church or teaching lessons or being just in front of people. Certain people have phobias, you know, flying on airplanes, heights, blood, things like that. Okay, so so what is the difference then? Like, how would I know if I have just, am I anxious or have anxiety? Like, you what can, are the symptoms? Right, and you can have anxious symptoms but not necessarily, not necessarily have anxiety. Now, here's a funny story on me that you may remember. But years ago, I was having a lot of anxiety symptoms and I refused to believe that I had anxiety. I was the bishop of the ward at the time and I was in a counseling practice treating people with anxiety. Uh, but it's funny, you you read this uh, symptom list one day and you're like, I think I know what's wrong with you. you <laughs> well, that was yes, one. I diagnosed you with anxiety, right? Yeah. That was, and you, yeah, and you refused to believe it. I didn't want to believe it. That's exactly right. But it was. But before you kind of revealed that, right before that came out, <clears throat> I remember reading those symptoms with people, and I would say, "That's so funny. I have every one of these." But good thing I don't have anxiety. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So here's some common physical symptoms. Anxiety can manifest itself in physical ways: heart palpitations, muscle aches and tension, shortness of breath, stomach problems. Fatigue, a lot of fatigue, headaches, uh, being easily startled actually is, a, is, is, a, is an anxiety symptom. Trouble sleeping, trembling, shaking, shortness of breath. Uh, but then there's more psychological symptoms like difficulty sleeping, worrying that's just out of proportion worry, being irritable, feeling tense, tight, you know, on edge. This feeling of impending doom, uh, the inability to focus or concentrate. Uh, just hyper-focused on worry. And, and here's the thing that I would want people to know today. More than anything else, I would want people to know this. There is such a stigma uh, with anxiety and depression in our culture today. And I want to tell people that anxiety and depression, those are not mental illnesses. I mean, there are mental illnesses out there 
And there are some pretty serious ones, and I don't need to mention those right now, but but if you have anxiety and depression, you're not mentally ill. You know, we need to get over that. Right. And I think that was your biggest fear when we were first discovering that you had anxiety. You kept saying, I don't want to be mentally ill. I don't. And, and, right. Right. Yeah. You so can't have a bishop a... that's mentally ill <laughs> or the dad of eight kids or. Well, I think that is. that's a huge stigma that people need to get over. I think it keeps people from getting treatment. I think it keeps people shamed. I think it keeps people from coming forward and getting help because they don't. They, they're associating it with mental illness or that they have a huge problem. Right. And really. Anxiety and depression, I mean, in both cases, these are mood disorders, right? And in both cases, our body's churning out a certain amount of hormones that are just making us more prone to either worry or be depressed or whatever. But it is not a mental illness, and we need to get over that. So, Mark, how prevalent is anxiety today? Wow, it's pretty it's pretty significant today. It's like I said earlier, it's prevalent enough that it's probably the main caseload I see at my office. But about 34% of the general population in our country is going to be affected by anxiety at some point in their lifetime. And is it true that women actually are have double the amount of anxiety than men do? Yeah, yeah. The reports show that women have are twice as high, you know, which is really interesting because depression runs the same way. You know, for some reason, hmm. with women, it's a little bit higher. Now, here's the other one that's kind of interesting, but anxiety is highly treatable. I remember you telling me that when I first was experiencing some anxiety symptoms because you were really reading and studying and, and you kept coming back to me going, hey, look, don't worry. It's you can do this. It's treatable, right? It is. Yeah, we've seen that, right? We've seen that with you and some members of our family that it's totally treatable and doable. Totally. But only 37% receive treatment for it, which is really sad. It right? is. It's really sad. Now, here's another interesting take. Ruth Whitman wrote a book called America the Anxious. And in her book, she reported that America, the United States, is now the most anxious nation in the world. She said the land of the stars and stripes has become the country of stress and strife. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's really interesting. I've, you know, in her book, she talks about people who actually move here, you know, from foreign countries. and They come to America and it's not long that they start to experience anxiety, which they never did before, right? Um, it reminds me of a friend of mine who used to uh, be a branch president at the Missionary Training Center. And he said he noticed the same thing. He said, the American missionaries were the ones that seemed to have the most anxiety. And he said, a lot of the missionaries from foreign countries, they just didn't have that, you know? And I don't know, I don't know, I, you know, I don't, I'm not a world traveler, so I don't know, you know, some of these big differences in our cultures, but obviously in our country, we're really we're really prone to be anxious. Yikes. So regarding teenagers, which I think a lot of us are really interested in our teens and you know how they're affected by anxiety, about 32% of teenagers have had or will have an anxiety uh, disorder at some point during their adolescence. For girls, once again, higher, 38% for girls during adolescence and then 26% for our young men, for our guys. Wow. So... How did COVID impact our youth then or and adults mm -hmm. when we were shut down? How has the anxiety level changed you know, I, during our COVID stint? Right. I think we're going to be studying the COVID effect for years. Oh. You know, I think there's a lot, a lot of issues are gonna are gonna come out of that. But at least from a mental health perspective, I'll read you one little report here. Uh, mental health related emergency room visits during COVID increased 31% during those COVID, that COVID period. In fact, for anxiety, there was a 
5.6% increase in anxiety from April of 2020 to April. Well, sorry, I'll, I'll read that again. Between April of 2019 and then April of 2020, a 93% increase in anxiety. And then depression, it was during that same time period, was uh, about 84%. And that was all for teenagers. So, you know, 93% for teens with uh, anxiety and then 83% increase with teens with depression. So pretty crazy, you know, pretty crazy effect for sure. I mean, you start isolating people and taking them away from friends and relationships and and then they get out of their routines and, and wow, COVID did have a real... Did a number on our youth. Yeah, for sure. So what stresses like teenagers, adolescents, young single adults out? Like what is what are what are their fears versus what we as adults are fearful of or stressed or anxious about? You know, what's interesting as you say that is I remember giving a talk like at a youth type of conference, coming in all prepared to talk about fear and worry, uh, you know, assuming that their fears and worries were the same as ours as adults and only realizing they weren't, <laughs> they weren't worried about the same things at all. We're on a totally different page than adults. <laughs> yeah. So it's really interesting, you know, you, you talk about adults and they're worried about war and the economy and the Middle East and uh, things like that. And you talk to teenagers and they're worried about relationships, you know, right? They're worried about their friendships and their relationships yeah, and their... sense. Social media, likes, things like that. Yeah. You know, they're, they're worried about that. Their school performance, a lot of their anxiety centers with, you know, with school and their teachers and college, yeah. college, their future and, and things like that. And so if a parent, you know, has this assumption that what their ch children are worried about is similar to them, they're, they're actually, you know, it's actually not. It's really different. Now, here's another interesting thing. When they asked teenagers in one study, where do you go to get help for anxiety? Most of them said, 44% said, we go online, and 34% said, we don't do anything. Oh, so, so they're getting their answers online. Yeah, or not, or, or none, they're getting, or they're getting no answers, you know. So anyway, we've got to do a little bit more to help, that's for sure. That's frightening. So one thing that I've noticed with you or with some of our other family members that have anxiety is the things that people worry about never even come to pass. Oops, my bad. <laughs> and it reminds me of that Calvin Coolidge quote where he says, if you see 10 troubles coming down the road, you can be sure that nine will run into the ditch before they reach you. <laughs> so true, right? And I think I see people spending so much time fretting and worrying and ruining their experience or their moment because they're just always just worried, worried, worried. And things that they worry about just will never really happen. Well, I can honestly say for myself that most of the things that I have worried about have never happened. You know, I can go back to when our children were young and and think through that, you know, and uh, I've heard all kinds of, you know, antidotes for this. Like 40% of the things we worry about never happened. 50% never happened. But Penn State, you know, some researchers at Penn State actually did some research on this. And what they came up with through their study was that 91% of the things that people worried about never happened. <laughs> wow, 91%. Yeah, and so think of all, and this is Janie, you've told me, you've told me this before, but just think of all the wasted time that we expend yeah, the energy. the time, energy, emotion, the fretting, yeah. Worried about these things that never happen, right? Yeah. Uh, just we could be doing something a lot better with our time. 
Now, one of the things that I, I think is really important as we're talking about these kinds of things is the role the gospel plays with anxiety. You know, and I, I love something Elder Holland said once that all solutions are gospel solutions. And I do believe that most of our problems can be resolved with gospel principles. You know, I do believe that anxiety is a spiritual disorder in a lot of ways. I think it has a lot to do with our lack of faith and, and our over focus on fear. And I, and I have to always be careful saying that because anytime you start talking about a lack of faith with someone, they, they take that personal, right? If you told me that my anxiety is because I lack faith. I would be offended by that. Which, right? Sorry, I probably <laughs> have told you that in the past. <laughs> well, and the issue is, is that, yeah, hey, we know the gospel is true. We have a testimony of the restoration and, and the Savior and all the important things. But often in our own personal life, what we, what we lack is faith in those personal promises to us. Or that, well, that may be true for everyone else, but not for me. You know, that's kind of how we start thinking about it. So I love that President Worthen, the president of BYU, a few years ago, gave a talk called Fear Not. And he said that phrase, fear not, is repeated 76 times in the scriptures. You, you would think that the Lord would want us to uh, pay attention to that if it's mentioned that often, right? And that, and that President Hinckley said that it's really important to remember that fear comes not from God, but from the adversary, from Satan. And I, I'm reminded that Satan is a great liar. You know, just as it says in the book of John, he, he can whisper ideas into our minds. He can plant doubt and confusion in our mind, darkness, uncertainty. And I think he really likes doing that. Oh, yes. And distraction. He, that's another form of distraction, right? Which is another one of his great tools. Right. Um, I love what President George Q. Cannon said. Whenever darkness fills our minds, we may know that we are not possessed with the spirit of God. When we are filled with the Spirit of God, we are filled with joy, with peace, and with happiness, no matter what our circumstances may be, for it is a spirit of cheerfulness and happiness. I uh, I really like that statement. Now, here's, here's what I'm thinking, Janie, right now, and tell me if this resonates with you, but have you ever had this experience? I know that you probably have. I have. You, ho you hop in your car, you drive away from your home, and you start to think, oh my gosh, I left all the doors unlocked, or I left the oven on or the curling iron or something like that. And then you go home and guess what? What do you find? Is the oven on? No. <laughs> no. Is the curling iron on? No. So was that message to you from, from God? And my belief is that it's not. I don't think Heavenly Father would lie to us or just trick us into thinking that our house is on fire when it's not. And I've had other experiences like that where things really were a problem. But it comes more in a calm, still way. It's not fearful, like panic, like, oh, you know, I think it's I've had the thought like you need to go back and, you know, and then I'm grateful for that. But yeah. I think it comes in a different way. I, I think you're right. In fact, we have learned, I have learned in my life, great lessons from my mission president. But guess what? This is really cool. But I've also learned great lessons from our children's mission presidents. And one of the ones that really resonates with me on that statement from George Chican about darkness filling our minds is one of our daughters had a mission president who was sitting at home one day before his mission, probably reading, I don't know the, all the details of the story, but he, he just had this thought. And the thought was, you have cancer. It wasn't, it wasn't fearful. It wasn't uh, crazy. It wasn't chaotic. It was just a very calm thought that you have cancer. And can you imagine now going to the doctor and having them do a full physical 
and uh, saying, you're great. And then having to say, actually, I have cancer. And uh, anyway, to make a really long story short, after some testing, they did detect uh, a small, tiny piece of cancer on a polyp in a, you know, in, in this good man's intestine. And he was able to, or in his colon, and he was able to have that that removed and then was called later to be a mission president in a place where had it not been found, he probably would have died of that cancer. But the point is, is that that revelation came in such a calm way. That's how Heavenly Father works. He's not chaotic. He's not out of control. He's not yelling at us. Fearful. Yeah. He doesn't instill fear. To turn the oven off. If the oven's on and, and if we're in danger, then, then Heavenly Father will tell us how he talks, which is a calm, peaceful way. So here's here's another statement like that. Here's Joseph Fielding Smith. We should be on guard always, he said, to resist Satan's advances. He has power to place thoughts in our minds and to whisper to us in unspoken impressions to entice us and, you know, basically to entice us to be fearful, right? To entice us to have these fearful thoughts come upon us. But those thoughts uh, can be, come from Satan. Julie Beck said the same thing, that it's Satan who puts these negative thoughts of hopelessness and fear, you know, into our, into our hearts. And so anyway, I love something that Dennis Deaton said. I don't know if any of you know who Dennis Deaton is, but we were well aware of Dennis when we lived in Arizona years ago, but he wrote a book called look unto Christ in every thought, defeating fear, doubt, and discouragement. And we would recommend it to any of you. But he talked about the prevalence of satanic thoughts in our lives. We'll put this in the show notes because there's a lot here. But he basically said things like this, that any thought that tears you down, any thought that diminishes your self-worth, any thought that urges you to doubt or to belittle or berate yourself or to diminish your value or to be negative and critical of other people, any thought that sows doubt about the reality of God, about Heavenly Father's love for us, about Christ's ability to lift us, and save us? Or how about this, any thought that holds us back from improving or drawing closer to God or discouraging us to live the gospel? Just any thought that fosters discouragement, depression, fear, despondency, despair, they all come from Satan. And that is that is probably has been one of the greatest revelations to me through this process of anxiety, because in my mind, I just assumed first that those thoughts may have been coming from God, and then second, they may have just been coming from me, but to actually know that those type of thoughts come from Satan is a major revelation. So I really think that another fear that we need to overcome is getting help, not being afraid to get help with our anxiety. If you feel like you're anxious, if you feel like your life's out of control, if you feel like you can't handle it on yourself, you know, yeah. go, don't be afraid to go get some professional help. Right. I love that Elder Holland told us in his talk, Like a Broken Vessel. If you had appendicitis, God would expect you to seek a priesthood blessing and get the best medical care available. So too with emotional disorders. Our Father in Heaven expects us all to use all of the marvelous gifts He has provided in this glorious dispensation. Mm. And like you know, you help people all the time. You deal with this all the time. But I think only 30, I think you said earlier, 37% get help. And I right. think because there is a stigma and people are afraid or don't believe that they can get help. And I think that is a huge fear that we need to pass the word on and help members of our family. If you see that in a spouse or yourself or a child or a youth, yeah, I think we need to direct them to that. Not be afraid. Not be afraid to, to get better, right? I mean, to get better. 
You know, that uh, you said that, and I remember uh, another conference talk, you know, where, where Bishop Waddell of the church, who actually happened to be one of our children's mission presidents, which I thought was really cool, but he, he talked about that receiving wise counseling through trained professionals and even taking medicine if it's necessary it could be helpful to overcome these kind of challenges. And so let's not be fearful of getting, getting the help that we need. One last thought today, you know, we always want to really, I love the idea that the true doctrine understood changes attitudes and behavior quicker than the study behavior changes behavior. We've heard, we've heard uh, that quote from Elder Packer for years now. And like I said earlier in this podcast, that Elder Holland's quote, that the solutions to life problems, life's problems are gospel solutions. We want to offer one gospel intervention today. And that intervention is faith. And it's not just positive mental attitude or not, not just faith in general, but it's faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith comes from hearing, you know, hearing the word of the Lord. Uh, hearing his messages, hearing his gospel, letting his teachings sink deep into our heart. When Peter is walking on the water in that great story in, in Matthew chapter 14, and he starts to sink, and he starts to sink because he takes his eyes off Christ, and he starts to look at all the challenging things that surround him, right? The water in his face. The wind and the waves and yeah. the storm. And yeah, all of that. And, 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 he's, and he starts to sink, right? And and we're the same way. It's, it's the same principle. So that scripture, it could be the greatest scripture for anyone that struggles with anxiety to look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. That's Doctrine and Covenant section six, verse 36. We focus on Christ and our fears begin to, to dissipate. Uh, I love the idea. And so many of our apostles have talked about receiving this counsel from Elder and or President James E. Faust, that do not take counsel from your fears. Don't do it. Don't permit fear and uncertainty to determine the course of our life. You know, Elder Bednar said to take counsel from our fears means that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ overrules our fears and that we can press forward with a steadfastness in him. To, to not take counsel from fear means that we trust in God's guidance, assurance, and timing. And so this idea of faith is huge. Uh, and we recommend it to all of you that if you're struggling right now, that if you have any kind of fear or anxiety in your life, to the very first place to go is to look to the Savior and to turn to Him and to reach out to Him. So we're LDS. We are all about let's do something. We're going to, that's our acronym, let's do something. We are here to act and not be acted upon. One of the invitations we would give you for today is to write down on a piece of paper or on your phone, however you want to do it, some of your worries and fears. Take a look at each one. Here's one of my favorite parts of counseling work that we do with people that have fear and anxiety. Can that problem be solved? Is there something you could do to solve that problem? If there is, go solve it, go fix it. But if there's not, there's a really good chance that those thoughts and ideas are coming to you from, from Satan. And so let's find a way to write those things down. Let's light them on fire. Let's torch them. Let's burn them. Let's do something with them. And let's turn our attention to the Savior. Let's turn to Christ. I love this verse, and we'll finish with it today. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, To come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. 
That phrase, come unto me, if you look in the topo guide, it says problem solving. Let's turn to him with our problems. To take our yoke, his yoke upon us is to take his name upon us and learn of him. He is meek and lowly of heart, meaning he wants to help us. He will teach us. He will guide us. And through that process, we will find rest unto our souls. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He wants our burdens to be light and they can be made light through him. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today. We hope to see you next time. We'll talk more about this topic later. There's so many more interventions and things that we can do to help overcome the fear and the worry and the anxiety in our lives. Thanks. Have a wonderful week. See you next time.